This is Tops Talk. On this week's show, we go into the Force Friday editions to the Star Wars Card Trader app. We break down the Major League talent that is just arriving for September baseball. And we talk with ESPN's researcher and writer, Mark Simon. This is Episode 4. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Top Stock, Episode 4, and we thank you for listening in from whenever and wherever you are. I'm your host, Alex Birch. In this episode, we break down the newest additions to the Star Wars Card Trader app for Force Friday, and we hear from trading card enthusiast and ESPN's researcher and writer, Mark Simon. But we begin with what we call the Bowman Breakdown, where we point out young players you should keep your eye on to start or grow your collections. And we are, of course, focusing this week and this episode on the September call-ups. We have Andrew Diamond here. You've heard his voice before. He's one of our assistant brand managers at Tops, And a new voice to the program, Patrick O'Sullivan, who's also new to Tops. But while he might be new to Tops, he has been in minor league baseball for the last four years for the since-relocated and renamed New Britain Rockcats. Now they are the Hartford Yard Goats, and we could probably talk about that for 10 minutes. But instead, let's go to the prospects. Guys, let's begin by talking about who are your top five prospects that you should keep your eye on this September. Andrew, take it away. Sure. Well, we've mentioned uh, number one uh, throughout the previous Bowman breakdowns, uh, Corey Seager finally got the call up a little after September 1st and debuted uh, this week, starting out with a two-for-four night uh, with a double and a single. My second one is a guy who got called up a lot earlier in the year but needed some more seasoning and was sent down, but is now back up for the Rangers at third base is Joey Gallo. Uh, Number three for me is uh, Hector Oliveira, traded from the Dodgers during the deadline. Uh, Cuban, 30-year-old, third base second base type prospect, but it'll be a third base as a mainstay probably for the Braves. Um, and my fourth is, um, full name is Francellis Montes, but he goes by Frankie Montes. Uh, coming out of the bullpen right now for the White Sox due to uh, hitting his in- innings uh, cap, I would say, but he's a candidate for the rotation next year. And five for me is a toss-up. Um, I'll probably go with Trey Turner, even though he was technically before September uh, by a week. I think the Nationals uh, jumped the gun a little bit because they needed a spark. But um, if we're discluding him because he was previous to September, um, I like um, Schaefer, Richie Schaefer from the um, from the Tampa Bay Rays. He was up briefly for a cup of coffee in August. Now he's back in September, uh, looking good so far. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, Corey Seager already doing good things, and Trey Turner. I thought that was fascinating that they brought him up, but it made complete sense because we've seen what the Nationals have been doing and what they've been going through the past about month and a half. And Trey Turner, hey, why not? This guy is a an incredible talent. Patrick, let's go to your list. Sure. So I echo a couple of things that Andrew had said before, uh, looking at some of the top guys coming through. So you have Seager, Gallo, and Oliveira. All three guys who can certainly make a, an impact for their team immediately. We already seen what Gallo can do damage-wise at the plate, so hopefully he can uh, help uh, help the Rangers maintain that wild card spot. 
but uh, very exciting to see how uh, Seeger performed it. And, and again, a young guy who immediately makes an impact in his debut, and Oliveira, who's a little bit more seasoned and uh, you know in terms of age-wise, but still new to the American game. So it'll be cool to see how uh, how maybe this little uh, sample size at the end of the year will uh, will parlay into a, maybe a full major league season next year. And I had a couple of guys to add to that. AJ Cole, who's a starting pitcher for the Nationals, he's a uh, a uh, young arm looking to probably fight for a rotation spot next year. And then uh, Luke Jackson, who's also with the Rangers, uh, converted into a reliever, um, big power arm, so hopefully can uh, help uh, close out those later innings. And, Pat, you said something to me before we sat down to record this that I thought was awesome, and that is, and I'm not sure Andrew actually knows this, so this is I'm going to look at his face when I say this. Pat has actually been next to minor leaguers when they've gotten the call-up, and Pat, just take us through that of your experience with with these minor league players when you worked for the New Britain for hard hitting New Britain Rockcats. It was really cool. Uh, so I'll, I'll take it to my first year, actually in in 2012, and a good club who uh, had their first winning season in a while. And at the time, at the end of the year, it looked like no player would actually get called up. Um, but on the very last day of the year, uh, Chris Herman, who is served pretty well as a backup role for the Minnesota Twins, he's bounced around a little bit between Rochester and Minnesota. Um, manager Jeff Smith at the time uh, called him in, and, and basically it was it was an open form. It was probably something that should have been behind closed doors, but you know just so that way guys had something to really cheer about for the end of the season. It was being told that you know Chris Herman would be making his way up to Minnesota, making that jump from Double A. He had seen a little bit of Rochester that that year but probably going right from double a to uh minnesota and i mean guys who had fought all year long and to see one of their own make it to uh to the twin cities was just beyond amazing i mean just smiles all around the season was over they weren't making the playoffs they got knocked out by a half game actually from reading uh for the second consecutive year so you know the the, the wounds are still pretty fresh and then you get wonderful news like this and uh, it really it really gave you a sense of how much these guys pull for each other it's really cool yeah, that seems incredible. And and to not do it behind closed doors, but to do it for everyone's benefit, I think was it was a pretty classy move, I think, to to share that moment with clearly the 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 young man's friends that he had made that summer too. I mean, that that's something that he will never forget, but also the the men around him would not forget either. Besides obviously, hopefully for them their own call-ups. Um, why don't we go now to the guys who have yet to be called up? And again, we're doing this towards the end of the first week of, of September. So these guys, if you listen to this podcast a few weeks from now, hey, maybe they're already up. So we'll, let's go to the guys who have yet to be called up as of September 4th. Well, we'll start out with uh, some power arms here. Um, Julio Urias is first on my list. Um, guy that's well beyond his years still a teenager he's I think he's got the stuff to come up and contribute right now but it would be might be a little foolish to get into his service time at the age of 19 Dodgers wisely playing it slow with him next up I'd say is Lucas Giolito of the Nationals guy can pump 100 miles per hour big six foot I think he's like six foot seven type frame looked really impressive in the futures game I, I think that him and AJ Cole might be battling out for um, the potential vacancy of Jordan Zimmerman if he leaves in the offseason, his spot in the rotation for uh, 2016. And we got Tyler Glass now of the Pirates. Uh, his one real uh, area to improve, it seems, is holding runners on base. I've heard that he's pretty weak in that area right now, but he's he's lighting it up in AAA, and he's lit it up everywhere in the minors. So um, his stuff's 
major league ready, but he's just got to shore up a few delivery hiccups, and I think he'll be there in, in very short order. And then my last two are two middle infielders, um, J.P. Crawford of the of the Phillies, shortstop, uh, you know, great glove, great maturity, really checks off all the boxes of what you want in a future mainstay at shortstop. Uh, Phillies should be excited about him, and um, you know, things are actually looking more up at this juncture than I would expect and would have would have expected them to earlier in the year. Um, once we got to September of 2015, and he's a big part of that. And the last one is Yohan Moncada, who's come on extremely strong in the second half of the season. He got off to a bit of a rough start um, in low A for uh, the Red Sox, but Moncada, you know, I, I would expect him up in maybe a year or two years from now, and he's he's got all the potential that you would have expected when he first signed and had all that buzz. Yeah, he's got the buzz. He's got the cash. I mean, the, the Red Sox signed him for quite a pretty penny, and – it's going to look make them look incredibly smart for doing that. I mean, he when he stepped into the box for his first at bat as a professional player in a, in America, he already looked like a big leaguer just physically. He looks like just a grown man that could do some damage, and yet he's so young, so young. Pat, let's go down a few guys in your list. I'm sure you'll have maybe a couple overlapping, but but maybe a, a few new ones. Once again, yeah, I'll co-sign what Andrew's saying on uh, Urias and, and Glass now, um, two guys who really probably at any point in time now can jump into a major league rotation and, and, and make an impact. Um, Urias has just been incredible to watch, especially for a guy his age to uh, handle batters the way he does with, with such poise and to uh, really have the strikeout numbers that he does. And with Glass now, um, didn't get a chance to see him actually in Double A. He was uh, hell of a injury problems this year too. Um, so hopefully next year for him, he works out some of the kinks and the mechanics and, and stays healthy and is able to help that Pittsburgh rotation. Uh, I'll also include Jose Barrios uh, for the Twins, who has been doing very well uh, through Chattanooga and then recently called up the Rochester. So and I believe he had a, a multi uh, double digit strikeout game just this past week. So it'll be exciting to see what he can do for uh, Minnesota in the years to come. Uh, and then over to the Mets, I, I like Gavin Ciccini. Um, I, I've seen him a little bit the uh, last couple of years, and I thought this year he actually made a really good uh, improvement offensively. So just to see, you know, it, it's an exciting kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's a good time for the Mets right now where the, you have young kids who are ready to jump right in and help out at the big league level. Who knows, maybe he could be one of those guys, but it was nice to see him really up his game offensively at the plate this year. And then I'll round it out with Blake Snell, uh, pitcher for the Rays, who has just been getting a claim from guys that he even faces you know on opposing teams just about how dominant he is uh what he looks like on the mound so it'll be exciting to see what he can do for Tampa in the next couple of years yeah and one of those voices was Byron Buxton who told me directly that Blake Snell was probably the most impressive pitcher that he's faced in the minor leagues thus far and and I if there's anybody that I'm going to listen to, it'll probably be Byron Buxton on that front. Uh, but yeah, absolutely great stuff uh, from both of you guys. And about Chikini, who, like you said, Pat, is a great talent for the Mets. And he's not the only one that had a very good year for the Mets that year. And it may be a surprising year even. And that's Dom Smith. Dom Smith is another guy who is going to help the Mets out. Had a fantastic year just got some hardware as well from the league that he was in and another guy that not going to bring him up probably this fall but he's definitely going to be in the plans if he keeps going the way he is Uh, just a really impressive player whose stats 
in years past maybe not look so great, especially for a first baseman. But if you looked at the stats now for Dom Smith, definitely a guy to keep your eye on. And a man who is able to keep his eye on the stats, a lot of different stats, since 2002, is a man named Mark Simon. And if you are in the New York metropolitan area, you have most likely read Mark Simon's material on ESPNNewYork.com. He is an incredibly talented statistician. He has been a part of ESPN for, like I said, over a decade. He's worked on Baseball Tonight, the leading researcher there, and a great card enthusiast with the card backstory as well. And so now I'll bring it to the taped interview we had with ESPN's own Mark Simon. Mark, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Explain to us a little bit about how your family really has as quite a history with trading cards. Yeah, my father uh, and I have collected uh, baseball cards, mostly tops, uh, dating back, I guess it's to about 1981. He used to own a candy store, and he would bring me back a pack a day uh, of tops baseball cards. And one day I won the scratch-off game and won the home run book, which is one of my favorite all-time uh, baseball books it has the picture and the biography of every guy who would hit 300 home runs at the time. And that was how I learned uh, a lot about baseball. In 1982, the next year at a baseball card show at Shea Stadium, we bought a 1975 top set. Uh, and I remember when we bought it, my dad said, do you think we'll ever get to the point where we're the ones doing the selling? And we were both like, no, no way. And then a few years later, uh, sure enough, we were. He used to put up uh, signs in the streets of uh, Manhattan uh, baseball cards bought, sold, and traded, and people would come to him with their, uh, they would tear off the, the phone number, call him up, and they would come to him with their childhood collections and sell them to him, and he built up a nice accumulation of that. At first it was a collection, and then it became a collection, and uh, he became a dealer, too. That, that's fascinating, and, and I, I bet you could even do something like that today, because the amount of people that that you run into that say, oh, oh my God, you work at Tops, my goodness, I have I have this box of, of thousands of cards, uh, I just don't know what to do with. Yeah, the thing to remember about back then, too, is that the boom was just kind of starting. Like, people didn't know that their stuff was necessarily worth, and it wasn't necessarily worth the, the amount that it's worth these days. And this is before things like, if you remember, if people that are listening remember, the Don Mattingly rookie card uh, explosion. This was uh, early to mid-1980s, which are probably some of my favorite sets. And uh, it was a time when people were selling, when people that were like baby boomers, grew up in the 50s, uh, were selling the cards that they had accumulated, but their moms hadn't thrown out because so many moms had thrown out kids' baseball cards. That's what happened to my dad's. Uh, and I can remember like seeing the 50s Bowmans and the 50s Tops and the 52 Mantle being a huge deal. And uh, someone, uh, my dad went and got, like the turning point for him was there was there was a point where someone came to him with a run of sets, I want to say from like the mid-50s to the late-60s. And once he got those, it was like full throttle, full, full speed ahead in terms of, Dealing. We used to go to baseball card shows. The second baseball card show at which we were a uh, dealer was the day that the ball went through Bill Buckner's legs, which I guess tells you how long ago it was. Uh, and I can remember uh, I was his helper at that time, and uh, I can remember I have a lot of good memories uh, of doing that. 
Wow. And clearly, first off, I mean, there's no way that you could forget that day. <laughs> clearly, that <laughs> exactly. Is, that is that is written so <laughs> so well in your mind. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I like uh, baseball cards. There are a number of, of memories. I, I know that you're going to ask me about favorites. Uh, one of my favorite baseball cards. This is a little strange, but uh, my favorite is probably a 1980 Topps Neil Allen, uh, which shows him really? in full windup. He's about to he's about to release a pitch. He is uh, on the verge of releasing a pitch. When I was seven, eight years old, Neil Allen was my first favorite player ever. He was the closer for the Mets. He was mediocre. He wasn't any good. Uh, and he went through a real rough patch in the early 80s, and he had some personal issues as well. But at a baseball card show, first week of June or so, uh, we went, and Neil Allen was the guest, and I brought my 1980 Neil Allen baseball card, and I was wearing a T-shirt with a decal of the 1980 Neil Allen baseball card on it. And he saw that, and it was like his face completely changed. He was like, I can't believe someone would be supporting me during a slump. And he signed the card, and I still have it. And uh, to this day, you know, it's probably my favorite card. Uh, I also like the 75 tops, uh, going back to buying the 1975 top set. That's a beautiful set. If you go back to the um, the Brett rookie and the Rice rookie and the Yant rookie, uh, those are, are very nice baseball cards. I have, it's funny, there's a vice president that works here uh, that can do the poses and uh, can do poses of top baseball cards from uh, the 70s and 80s, and we like to do the 75 set. Wow. Well, first off, that is a, a <laughs> great, what a story. And that's a great selection, that 75 set. Uh, yep. I mean, it, you can't mimic a better one than that. It's As far as, like, rookie card combinations go, that's about as good as it gets. Plus, you have, like, the very end of Hank Aaron's career, uh, and you have there are a couple other players. It's, you're right. You're just past Willie Mays, so he's not in there. Uh, but I think you also have those. They have the MVP cards within there too, like we're the MVP winner for each year. Uh, the the card of that MVP winner is replicated as a card. In the, if I'm thinking right, in the '75 set. Mm. And so I, I can't help but listen to all of this and not think that the, that tops and just baseball cards in general really shaped a lot of your eventual professional career <laughs> it did absolutely uh and i go back to the home run book uh, which is actually really important uh because there's a lot of good trivia in the home run book uh, the way that it was uh, structured was it was uh, a picture of each guy who had 300 or more home runs followed by maybe a hundred words of text i think it's one of those i think Xander hollander wrote it if i'm thinking right it's maybe 100 pages 150 pages whatever it was uh, but it was it was a book that, as an eight-year-old, seven-year-old, you could devour. And there was so much good trivia in that book. And, and things like, uh, who were the pitchers who homered in their first at-bats? Uh, I think there was a page devoted to really weird home runs. And I discovered then that I had pretty good memories for that sort of thing. So, so it, a lot of the facts that were in those books, they stuck with me. And to this day, if someone hit their 332nd home run, I may not have known exactly who it was that hit it, but I certainly knew the range of players that uh, that he was in. It, without a doubt. I mean, again, the the mark that has been left in in your skull is, is <laughs> indelible. And, just, and we haven't even really gotten into what I do, but I worked on Baseball Tonight as the head researcher from 2004 to 2011. And there are so many instances where I knew a pronunciation 
where I knew what a guy looked like or I knew uh, a simple tidbit about someone specifically because of the baseball cards and the autographs that we had collected as I grew up. Yeah, that is truly incredible. I mean, how much of an impact this business has, has had on such yep. an important member of the ESPN team. Whether you want, <laughs> whether you want to actually admit that or not, you are an incredibly important member. Because again, people who are watching these shows, they would not have nearly as much information as they need without people like you. Right. Well, I think that that's this. Stats and Information Group is kind of a like-minded community, and that I think there are a fair, as I said, there are a fair share of people like me. One of the vice presidents can do baseball card poses on requests from the 70s and 80s. Uh, the guy that used to sit next to me knew the alma mater of every NBA player in the in the league, all 15 on every roster. Uh, but I guess it'd be 450 for 450. Everyone's got their thing, and you put all those things together, uh, and you combine them on the different shows, Sports Center, and Baseball Tonight, NBA Tonight, and Game Day, and all that, uh, and you get something pretty good. Well, one of your things, and one of the biggest things that you focus on a lot, are very advanced statistics, uh, advanced metrics in baseball, and this is something that has has been just taking the world by absolute storm for the last 20 years. And from your perspective, I mean, how has that really changed this game? Well, I think that the, the way that it changed is you can look at the standings and you can look at a team, just look at a team like Houston or look at a team like Pittsburgh. It's leveled the playing field, and this goes back to the A's and Moneyball as well. And for those that saw the movie, I would say read the book as well, because I think you'd get more out of reading the book. Um, but yeah, like Houston and Pittsburgh are classic examples, uh, in terms of paying a lot more attention to things like defensive positioning and shifting. And the Astros do a lot of other things too. A lot of teams do a lot of different things. The Pirates do stuff with catchers, and they look for catchers that are the best in baseball at framing pitchers, pitches. The Astros look for pitchers like Colin McHugh, who may not have the great raw numbers, but he had an incredible spin rate on his curveball, and they were able to capture that and uh, develop him into an elite, uh, not an elite pitcher, but a high-end pitcher. They were able to take someone like Dallas Keuchel, who was a, a nothing pitcher for the first two years in the league, and turn him into a Cy Young candidate. Uh, the numbers and the metrics and some of it we're exposed to on a, on a regular basis, things like wins above replacement, which are now on the back of baseball cards, and some things we're not, uh, they've played a, a huge role, and I think it's only going to get uh, bigger as teams look for uh, competitive advantages and especially ways of leveling the playing field. How can a team that's got a, an $80 million payroll compete with a team that's got an $180 million payroll? Right, and, and actually I think one of my favorite statistics that a team uses and this is like this is going back at least a decade maybe even more are the cardinals because i remember the cardinals they made sure to not have a pitcher in their rotation that was slower than like 1.3 seconds to the plate from the stretch like it, it was something like that and it was something that that struck me so well because it said oh my god that's so simple and how effective that could be but not a lot of people would have thought of that originally, and obviously you see there the evolution of the game. Right, and it's not like it's really that complicated. People talk about how they live in fear of how complex some of this stuff is. It's not. 
it's just it's very logical. Like something like wins above replacement is something is something as simple as me and you saying this guy you sh- you think Mike Trout should be the MVP and I think it should be Josh Donaldson. But why do you think that? All right, you've got your list of reasons for Trout. I've got my list of reasons for Donaldson. But what something like wins above replacement does is it puts everything that you're doing on the same scale so that there are no biases so that you know if you're valuing uh, every one of Trout's home runs you you also have to value in the same way by the same system every one of Donaldson's home runs and something like war just ensures that you do that it it puts a system on paper by which you're judging everyone by the same set of rules and and I can't let you leave this interview without asking probably a question that tons of people would want to ask you because we have now hit September and people want to know who in the world is going to win the MVP and from your perspective because your perspective is is the numerical perspective a lot of the time and so who in your mind is going to win the MVP for both leagues? I think it's going to be Trout and Harper. I think that that's just, A, that's a good story uh, and B, I think it's a uh, logical and legitimate choice. Uh, Harper is the best uh, all-around player in the National League this year, uh, and he has the benefit, uh, unlike someone like Goldschmidt, of having played on a team that, as much as you might not want to say it, is in contention, even though at the time that we're talking, they're six and a half games out of first place. Uh, Trout is going to win it over Donaldson, uh, I just think because of the 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 mystique of Mike Trout. I think that the Blue, Jays would, the Blue Jays have a lot more to work with than Mike Trout has to work with. Mike Trout has basically one other guy in the lineup that can hit Pujols. Uh, Josh Donaldson is a lineup that's full of hitters playing in a ballpark that is extraordinarily conducive to uh, hitting the ball over the fence and putting up a lot of runs. Mike Trout's not in the ballpark that uh, that, that, that works. So I will say Trout. I will say Harper, and you didn't ask, but I will say Keuchel, and I will say Grinky. <laughs> that was going to be the follow. <laughs> that was definitely going to be the follow up. And yep. and the Cy Young is always such a, a fascinating award. And you and you and I and every other baseball fan who pays attention to awards have seen this award evolve over time. I, I think when I was a kid, if you if you look at how the Cy Young was voted, it was certainly voted uh, a lot different than it is today. Uh, and I think that back then, the win-loss record of a pitcher was a much more uh, important uh, quality than it might have been for uh, something nowadays. Like, I, I don't think that in this day and age, Lamar Hoyt's 24 and 10, 366, I don't think he's winning the, the Cy Young. That's one from when I was... Uh, an eight-year-old, I think that 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 would be taken away. Uh, there are other examples of that. He's probably the strongest, and I don't even think you go back like nine, ten years to when Bartolo Colon won it. I don't think Bartolo Colon is winning the Cy Young today. Uh, the Cy Young voting has evolved. You have a younger voter now, I think, and a voter that is more uh, educated and sophisticated. And I think it'll be interesting just to see how these votes go, especially not just for the Cy Young, but for the Hall of Fame too. If you uh, Look, look, maybe 10 years into the future. And you, uh, once again, read my mind of, of what I, of my final question, which is that the Hall of Fame, I mean, do you envision that the Hall of Fame is going to be taking different stances, a, a different caliber, or maybe a kind of player will be entering the Hall of Fame in maybe 15, 20 years? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the, the, the Hall of Fame now is two separate discussions. One is the PED guys and one is the, the nuts. And I think that actually the PED guys are, and this is a discussion for another time, but the PED guys will get in eventually as the older voters fade away and the younger voters uh, come in. But uh, with that, I think you will see appreciations for uh, players that will... Uh, I don't even know necessarily who I'm thinking of. I guess Adrian Beltre and Chase Utley would be good examples uh, off the top of my head. Those are guys that I think a lot of people by the eye test would say, oh, maybe not. But I think the sabermetrics will help push uh, those guys over the top. And I'd like to see it actually happen for a couple of pitchers. Uh, I'm a big... Uh, Everyone that's in the sabermetric community is a big Tim Raines guy, and I'm fine with that, and I would I would push his candidacy. But I'm a big Mussina guy. Uh, I'm a big uh, Mike Mussina for the Hall of Fame guy. The advanced statistics will tell you that he was one of the best pitchers of uh, his era, and that while he wasn't Pedro or Smoltz or Maddox or Randy Johnson, he's a hair below them, and he's pretty good. Yeah, and the fact that, I mean, I was just romantic reasons he had 20 his only 20 win season in his final year i mean that, yeah, no better way than to go out on top yeah. yeah exactly you're already top of mind and, and should be top of ballot says yep. mark simon mark thank you so much for joining this week's podcast we really appreciate it and i hope to hear from you again soon down the line yeah absolutely Force Friday was a force to be reckoned with all throughout the country amidst Star Wars fans young and old. And here at Tops, we celebrate it in many forms, and in one of the ways is in the app world. I have Ian Hundiak here, and he is the lead app producer for all of Tops' apps. And Ian, you, though, have a special interest in Star Wars and... You have a lot of news about what went down because of Force Friday for the Star Wars card trader app that Tops produces. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a Star Wars fan since I was, you know, super, super young. It's been a huge part of my childhood, and working on this app has been just a huge opportunity and, and awesome experience for me. And, you know, I've been around since it launched back in March, which seems like a long time ago, but it's only been, you know, a few months and in those months, we've learned a lot, and we've been working on a lot of cool stuff, and we were really excited to launch all of it uh, last Friday on Force Friday. Talk about some of the interesting parts that fans really were able to get their hands on. So first things first, the big piece was Force Awakens content. Star Wars The Force Awakens. It's the big, it's the movie event of the year, not even just for Star Wars fans, just for fans of pop culture. And uh, Force Friday was the first day that... Uh, we released Episode 7 content outside of the trailer cards that we were able to release at launch, which was a huge deal for us. We were the first place where you could get Star Wars trading cards, which was really, really big and exciting for our fans. Um, but Force Friday was the first time where we could release new content uh, and some, some more sort of original designs, some designs that our designer Matt Petz handled and worked on. And we actually had a huge bulk drop of eight cards right at midnight on Force Friday, so that was that was a huge deal. Fans went crazy. And then uh, we also actually launched a, a new feature called Smuggler's Den, which is uh, pretty interesting and it's long in the works. Yeah, that uh, Smuggler's Den, immediately my ears just perk up. I mean, please explain what that is. So basically, uh, it allows users to trade with the system. 
So one of the things that we're most proud of with our apps is that our apps connect you to a network of card collectors and traders 24-7. So you, know, you can sit on your couch or be at Comic-Con trading with, with your friends and people you don't even know. But Smuggler's Den kind of allows us to expand that even more and really, truly allow for a 24-7 trading experience. You know, if you are looking for that last, you know, red Galactic Empire card to complete your collection, you can now trade directly with the system to get it. It also allowed us to add value to a lot of the cards that people had already collected this year and make sort of inserts that had already been awarded or insert sets, rather, that had already been awarded. Uh, take those and then make them, you know, more valuable now because we could make them criteria for awards that are still coming out. So that was really a big deal and exciting for us. Well, all that sounds incredible, Ian. And I know that this excitement about the Star Wars Card Trader app, I mean, it's not just for Force Friday. I mean, this has been going on really since its inception. I know Chris Vaccaro talked at length about that a few episodes ago. But why don't you go into really the beginning of how this app came about? So, I mean, having a Star Wars app was something that we wanted you know, since I joined the Tops team. Uh, a year or so ago, and actually long before that, just because you know the the relationship between Tops and Star Wars has been you know so long, and and you know, the products that have been made have been so magnificent that on the app side we really wanted to be a part of that history, and we knew that at some point we wanted to move into entertainment products. I mean, at that time we had three sports apps: Tops Huddle, which is American football; Tops Kick, which is world football. And then uh, Top Spunt, which is baseball. And um, so we, we really wanted to expand and, and go into the entertainment realm. And we thought Star Wars would be the perfect franchise to do it with. And uh, it's, it's proven to be true. I mean, you know, we were excited for this. We thought it was going to be a big app. We thought it was going to be something people really loved. But I'd be lying if I said that we really predicted how big it would be or how much people would love it. It's... It's been one of those things where people who work on the app, you know, go to Comic-Con and get recognized. That certainly wasn't something that we expected would happen at all. And and the amount of fan sites that have popped up around around the app, uh, the the subreddit, the conversations on Twitter, it's it's insane and and really awesome to watch and definitely one of the pieces we're most proud of. And one of the things that that Chris talked a bit about a, a few episodes ago when he was on with us, he was saying, and he actually could not go into just how grateful he was just for the Star Wars fans that were out there because of the immediate impact that they made to the app and that they continue to make. I mean, you guys must see some pretty crazy numbers about how this app is so successful. We we didn't have any sort of, I mean, we, we made our projections about how many people we thought were going to be in the app and how well we thought the app was going to do, but actuality blew our projections out of the water. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I've I've learned working on the app and one of the things I, I said in, the, in an interview with io9 actually was that I've learned to just never underestimate what Star Wars means to people and how much it means to people. It's it's easy to to forget sort of how big and how global Star Wars is. I mean, granted, it has a presence everywhere, but uh, but everybody loves Star Wars. It means something to everybody, and it means so much to people. And you know, Star Wars for a lot of families, for a lot of friends, means connection and means pulling people together and 
and you know, sharing a common interest. And I, I think that's something that's been the most important piece of the app is, you know, we get, you know, emails and, and tweets and DMs from fans who say that, you know, that they have a kid now and they collected Star Wars cards back in 1977. And this is one of the ways that they're sharing that love of Star Wars cards with their kids or with their family. And personally for me, and I think I can speak for everybody, that's, that's really the piece that, that means the most to us. When you first look at the Star Wars Card Trader app from just a new person's perspective, so let's take a quick step back and say, you know what? I love Star Wars. I haven't really been into the app yet. I hear it's pretty great. Explain a few reasons why you should get into this Card Trader app. One thing that we've heard from a lot of our users is, uh, you know, a lot of them are, are longtime collectors, not just of cards, but of memorabilia. And a lot of them have talked about, you know, their significant others telling them that they need to either get a storage unit or get rid of some of their collectibles. And one of the things that our apps do is sort of give you a place to store all that. I mean, you have your collection with you everywhere you go. And it's, it's always there to show off to your friends or to trade. If you uh, have some downtime in a meeting or between classes, it's always there. Also, I mean, there are free packs to open every single day. So, you know, even if you're a more casual user, there's, there's always something to get. You're always expanding your collection every week. And if you're a, a, a more serious user, a hardcore user, we're releasing, you know, cards every day, every couple hours there's always something new to chase and something new to collect. Ian, thank you so much for coming on with me. And once again, this is the Star Wars Card Trader app, and you can find it on the Google Play Store and also, of course, in the App Store. To finish off the episode, we take a break from hearing a top story and instead tell you about a winner. Last week, we mentioned on our Twitter that we were going to randomly select a winning retweet of a photo we posted of a signed Bowman football card of Marcus Mariota that we were giving away. And, well, we're going to do just that. The winning handle belongs to Rich Paris, whose handle is at the Rich 43. That is Rich Paris at the Rich 43. Congrats, Rich, and thanks for retweeting and listening to Top Talk. Thanks again for listening in to Tops Talk, and we hope you hear us again soon. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Tops Talk, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to be a top story, email topstalk at tops.com with your information. Special thanks goes out to Clay Lorasky and Leanne Minutoli, Mark Simon, Andrew Diamond, Patrick O'Sullivan, and Ian Hundia. This has been Episode 4 of Topstalk.